Hey, I'm Jesse. The wall is complete. As we saw in our sermon this past weekend and our curriculum this week, there's a lot of celebrating to be done. If you remember the ministry of Jesus, when his brothers start kind of making fun of them, they go to this festival, like the festival of booths, the festival of shelters. And this was something that was prescribed in the Old Testament, but it's also observed here in Nehemiah. And this is all, this is, this is all part of the homecoming from the Babylonian captivity, the Babylonian exile. Uh, they come together, Ezra reads from the word of God. Remember Ezra from the book of Ezra, we had Zerubbabel who came in and rebuilt the temple. Ezra kind of rebuilds community around the Torah. And now Nehemiah has led the team that rebuilt the wall and all of it's coming back together again. You're kind of seeing, uh, it's not perfect. See like, at the end of Zerubbabel's ministry, there was some awkwardness. At the end of Ezra, uh, there's a lot of like forced divorce stuff and it's messy. Uh, and now in the book of Nehemiah, it's, it, it's looking good. There's a big party to be had. They observe the festival of shelters and now it's time for a big corporate confession of sin. We as believers, and particularly in the American context, we can be very individualistic at times. And we can say like, uh, yeah, you know, I'm responsible for my own sin. I'm responsible for my own well-being. Uh, and, you know, we, we think of that, you know, financially, we think of that in terms of health. I think that often in terms of our own spirituality as well. But then in, in the ancient Israel context, in the Old Testament context, it was much more corporate minded. Um, it was much more, it, it was much more a matter of confessing not only my own sins individually, but also the sins of my father, see Nehemiah in chapter one, or even the sins of my nation, see Nehemiah and Isaiah. Like I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. As Americans, we can sometimes get caught up uh, only on the individual side of things, which works really well economically, which works really well when it comes to the capitalist system. It does, it just does. I mean, like look at how America has prospered because you have the freedom, the right to profit from your own risk. Uh, however, when it comes to the confession of sin, uh, there's something to this ancient Israel context wherein they would confess not only their own sins, but the, corporately as a people, they would confess sin. Here's Nehemiah chapter nine. On the 24th day of this month, the Israelites assembled. They were fasting, wearing sackcloth, and had put dust on their heads. Okay, this is symbolic. This, uh, this, this, bears, this bears significance. It's something that goes back to the Old Testament. It's, it's something that is, uh, if you're adorned in sackcloth and ashes, it means that you're weeping, you're mourning, you're grieving. And what are they grieving? Well, their own, their own sin. Uh, they're wearing sackcloth and to put dust on their heads. Those of, uh, those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. While they stood in their places, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day and spent another fourth of the day in confession and worship of the Lord their God. So this is, this is a six hour session. Uh, at a time. They would spend six hours just reading from the law of God. And then they would spend six hours confessing sin and worshiping God. That's a 12 hour total session in the temple. 
and they're separating themselves from foreigners. This is where you, this is where the book of Nehemiah would become politically incorrect today. I think it's best understood through the proper interpretive lens. We live in the New Testament era, and we know that people from every tribe, every language, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And we know that it wasn't just for the Israelites that Christ came. It wasn't just for Abraham that the covenant was made. We can read that over and over again in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 and 22, that it was to bless all nations. Now here we are, I'm currently recording this in the year 2022, now a couple of millennia into the new covenant, we are accustomed to the gospel for all nations. When we, from this lens, look back on the Old Testament, we can sort of impose a new covenant view onto old covenant, old covenant events. It was actually a really big deal that Rahab would become a part of the nation of Israel. It was actually a really huge deal that Ruth would become a part of the nation of Israel. And by the way, both of those women are even named in the genealogy of Jesus. It's a big deal when a Gentile would be converted and become a part of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. It was not an ethnocentric covenant because from the very onset, uh, you began to see the ethnic, uh, the ethnic purity, quote unquote, if you will, of Israel being diluted as Gentiles were assimilated into the Hebrew nation. But in the old covenant, it was about God's chosen people. It was about God's chosen nation. There were laws that God had for his people and they applied. You and I, we look at, we look at laws in Deuteronomy and we, we look at, uh, or rather like reiterated in Deuteronomy and we look at these, these prescribed processes for uh, rectifying sin against your neighbor and we see these laws that would require people to dress a certain way, have their hair set a certain way, the way that they could eat in certain times and farming practices. Uh, clothing that they could wear. And we all know that we live in the new covenant. We don't abide by those. But remember, this is an Old Testament book describing events that took place under the old covenant, which means that those laws still held sway. Their purpose was to make the people of God distinctive. Their purpose in having the hair on the sides of your head just go and not cut it. So it was distinctive. It's possible that the people of Jericho had never seen an Israelite before, but when they were just opposite them on the Jordan River, they knew who they were looking at because they're distinctive. They wear clothing that makes them distinctive. They, they just do things, they carry themselves in a way that makes, makes them distinctive. And so they had to go back to being distinctive once more. They had assimilated into the, the, the Persian culture around them and now it's time for them to be distinctive again. They had to separate themselves then. This was God's Old Testament grace. It was God's chosen people. If you're my Calvinist friend, you'll dig this because much of what you say about election really pertains to Old Testament Israel, like right here in Nehemiah chapter nine. Like you have been chosen, you have been set apart, you are my people. You used to not be a people, and now you're my people. 
And it's all for the glory of God and his election of Israel so that it would stand. These are the descendants of Jacob, not of Esau, even though Esau was born first. It was all just so that God's sovereignty would be on full display. He chose this people. He miraculously delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He made the covenant with Abraham and he would go on to bless all the nations of the earth through Israel. But that doesn't come about until Jesus. Remember, this is BC. This is before Christ. This is Old Testament election stuff. This is God's chosen people of Israel who by Old Testament law were to be distinctive. And so what follows is a list of the names, a list of the, a, a list of the, the Levites who would cry out loudly to God in verse five, after naming these beautiful and sometimes difficult to pronounce Hebrew names, there's, there's, uh, there's significance to this, like the name Jeshua and Kadmiel and Bani. They say, stand up. Blessed, uh, uh, blessed be the Lord, your God, from everlasting to everlasting. And what's going to follow is this beautiful hymn that just kind of recounts the full history of Israel. So I know that you and I, as Americans who are accustomed to uh, beautiful multiculturalism, and especially if you're a college kid right now, I know the word multiculturalism uh, might as well be the gospel for you. Like, it's everything. Uh, and, and we love the diversity of the cities that we live in. We love, I mean, here we are in Seattle by, uh, by language count. It's the mo most diverse zip code in the U.S. And uh, having lived in Orlando, I'm accustomed to a lot of different languages. And having, having lived, uh, lived in Florida, I'm, I'm accustomed to a whole other kind of diversity than we have even here. Having lived now in Seattle, it's a whole other beautiful type of diversity. Like, we love diversity. We love it all. But this was distinctiveness in the old covenant sense as the people of God who had to separate themselves and be distinctive. So they're being, they, they have all of their friends who are Persian and Medo-Persian and Arab, and that's beautiful and that's awesome, but guess what? Now it's time uh, that the temple has been rebuilt, the wall has been rebuilt, Jerusalem is, has been restored. It's time to come home and it's time to re-separate yourselves. Uh, this is hard to do. This was heartbreaking for them to participate in, but it's time to come together as the distinct people of God and say, blessed be the Lord from everlasting to everlasting, from eternity past to eternity future. God is at work in his people in Old Testament Israel. And we may not be the Old Testament, uh, we may not be the, the Old Testament Israel, and there may no longer be any kind of ethnocentrism, ethnocentrism whatsoever at all to the gospel. In fact, now the gospel is quite deliberately and actually multicultural, multinational, multiracial. It is by default because we are now making disciples of all nations that uh, people from every tribe, every language, every tongue will confess that what Jesus said in Acts 1 has come true, that his, his disciples were his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and here we are on the other side of the earth talking about it. That salvation was first for the Jew, but now it's for the Gentile. Here's the Gentile weighing in on exactly that. I'm grateful for that. But at the time, in the original context, they had to be distinctive. And now even today, there comes times where we have to be distinctive. You cannot be a Christian and blend in 100% with the world around you. There's gonna be this time where I gotta go bless the name of the Lord, God Almighty, from everlasting to everlasting. 
and there are moments where you are going to be a little bit distinctive. We'll talk more about that tomorrow, about New Testament distinctiveness, how it's not isolationism, but it is a call into holiness.